So here in these morning prayers, these morning masses, um, when I'm able, I, I've typically preached on the psalm. Sometimes we have other things going on, or sometimes it's a psalm that we just had last week, and I usually don't preach on it twice, twice like that. But today we have a different psalm, Psalm 88, and quite frankly, it is one of the most difficult psalms in all the Psalter. In fact, it's one of the most difficult chapters in the whole Bible. And so when I was looking at that psalm and reflecting on it, I thought, oh my goodness gracious, I don't want to preach on that. But yet, out of honesty, honesty, to be honest with the scriptures, to be honest with uh, my own ministry, I thought, well, I really have to. Because I don't want to just pick and choose, just preach the good parts. I have to preach the whole scriptures, the whole, the whole Bible to you. And so today we're going to take a look at Psalm 88. Again, one of the most difficult Psalms of the Psalter, one of the most difficult chapters in the Bible. It's a Korahite Psalm. And we talked about Korah, who was a, a rebel, really. He opposed Moses and for and for that his, the earth opened up and swallowed him and all of his followers. But his sons would not follow Korah. They stayed faithful to Moses and faithful to the Lord. And so they became very special in the ministry of God. And it gave us many of the Psalms that we have in our scriptures. And so this is a Psalm from the sons of Korah. And it begins, well, let me, first let me say there are three really, there are three parts to this psalm, three portions. And the first is a crying out to God that the psalmist is in trouble. And the second, the psalmist begins questioning God. Why are you doing to this, this to me, God? Is this, is this good for me? And the third, he ends with accusing God. You making these bad things happen to me, the Lord. It is all your fault. So, like I said, this is a tough psalm to go forward with. So the psalmist begins, O Lord, the God of my salvation, I call out by day, at night I cry aloud in your presence. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. It's a beautiful beginning. A man of someone who is coming to God in prayer because he has a trouble. But I warn you, this is, these are the last positive words in this psalm. For my soul is filled with troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. Remember, Sheol is the place of the dead, where all, in the ancient Hebrew belief, they all went. There wasn't a heaven or a hell. There was just this place of, of the dead, the place of shade called Sheol. Or my, uh, go back to the beginning. My full soul is filled with troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I am reckoned with those who go down to the pit. I am like a warrior without strength. My couch is among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave. You remember them no more. They are cut off from your influence. You plunge me to the bottom of the pit, into the darkness of the abyss. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. All your waves crash over me. In this very sad psalm, the psalmist sees himself is at the brink of death. In fact, he says, my bed is already in the, in the place of death. 
I'm like in my sepulcher, although I'm still alive. I'm, I'm right on the brink of death. And he begins to express himself in terms of abandonment, of deep loneliness. He is dying alone. And he is convinced that once he is dead, it's all gone. It's over. God will not hear him anymore. God will not remember him. God will not care for him. He feels so sad and alone, abandoned and forsaken as he comes to the brink of his death. I'll continue. Because of your acquaintance, because of you. Remember, he's accusing God now. Because of you, my acquaintances shun me. You make me loathsome to them. Caged in, I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim from trouble. All day I call on you, Lord. I stretch out my hands to you. The psalmist begins to accuse God that he is in this, in this life, that he has come to the point of death. And he begins to question God. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the shades arise and praise you? Is your mercy proclaimed in the grave? Your faithfulness among those who have perished? Are your marvels declared in the darkness? Your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? These questions show the despair of someone who is coming to this point of death and doesn't believe in an afterlife. We, know, we all know people like that. People don't believe in God. They don't believe in an afterlife. Imagine their despair when they come to the point of death and they think everything is going to end. Everything I've done in this life will count for nothing once I'm dead. It is a terrible point of despair. And so here this psalmist is crying out at this point and he's asking these questions. He's trying to get a rise out of God. He's accusing God and questioning God. He wants God to say something, do something. He's like a bully. On the, the psalmist is like a, a bully on the, on the playground, ta teasing and taunting someone, trying to get a rise out of them. And so the psalmist, in his despair, is crying out to God, accusing him and questioning him. And he says, but I cry out to you, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. In the Hebrew, this, this, this statement, my prayer comes before you, the, the verb there means my prayer confronts you, confronts you. See, his prayer is an, his own prayer is an accusation to God, to confront God, to get God to react. And then as he goes deeper into his despair, the psalmist writes, why do you reject my soul, O Lord, and hide your face from me? I have been mortally afflicted since my youth. I have, been, I have borne your terrors, and I am made numb. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors destroyed me. Have you ever come to that point where you've been still filled with anguish? You've cried, you've screamed, and you just get to that point where you feel numb? The terrors have passed over you, and all that is left is numbness. All day they surge round like a flood. From every side they encircle me. 
Because of you, friend and neighbor shun me. My only friend is darkness. And thus the song ends. It's a tough one, isn't it? But there's something glorious about this song. We have to kind of look deep to see it, but there is something glorious about this song. And that is God's love of honesty. God wants us to be honest with him. You know, we're not in Sunday school anymore. We're not pretending that everything is wonderful and beautiful and rainbows and butterflies. Life can get hard sometimes. And there are times we feel lost and alone and abandoned by God. That's not true. I mean, we aren't lost or alone or abandoned by God. God never leaves us or forsakes us. But yet we feel that way sometimes, don't we? And the psalmist cries out that once I'm dead and gone, the dead aren't going to praise you. Of course, we know because we're at a different point in history in which after the Son of God has become man and taught us that he has gone to prepare a place for us so that when we, are, when we die, we go into eternal glory. The psalmist didn't know that. Jesus hadn't come and taught us that yet. And so he is filled with despair. But he cries out in his honesty to God. God desires honesty from us. We can't pretend that all of life is wonderful and glorious. We, have, we suffer loss in life. We suffer loss of loved ones. Sometimes we suffer loss of income, of jobs. We go through times in which we feel like crying out, why are you doing this to me, God? And you know what? God's big enough to take it. God is big enough because he wants us to be honest with him, to cry out to him. But in the ending of this psalm, let us go back to the beginning. O God of my salvation, to you I cry in the day and then the night. God is the God of our salvation, even when we don't feel like it. Even when we feel lost and alone, God is still the God of our salvation. I often reflect upon Jesus hanging on the cross. In this psalm, and most of these lamentation psalms can be used to reflect upon the passion of Christ. As he hung upon the cross, and there were the Roman soldiers who were mocking him, teasing him, gambling over his clothes. All of his disciples had left except for St. John the Divine. One disciple still there. And his mother was there. Surely he felt lost and alone. And he looks up to heaven and he cries, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of course, God hadn't forsaken him. His father did allow our Lord Jesus to suffer in that way. But he also raised him up. And so when we feel like that, when we feel lost and alone, that our only friend is darkness, we must remember, even God went through that when he became man. He suffered, he died, but he 
rose from the dead. He conquered death. And indeed, God will cause us all to rise with him in eternal glory. Thank goodness that for us there is hope because we have heard from the Son of God that he has prepared a place for us where we will go into eternal glory. Thank goodness that even in our most desperate despair, we have that knowledge, we have that hope, that blessed hope, which the psalmist did not have. But we too go through times of anguish and despair, don't we? And so we cry out to God in honesty, and God will respond. Even though we may not feel it, we may not hear it, but God is always responding. I promised to mention one fact about St. Jerome that not everybody knows. Did you realize that St. Jerome, at one point in his ministry, as he was in Bethlehem translating the scriptures from Hebrew and Greek into Latin at the direction of the Pope, do you realize he was excommunicated? The Bishop of Jerusalem got angry with St. Jerome because he felt like Jerome was a, was a freelancer. Jerome was not living uh, was not doing things the way the bishop wanted him to, and Jerome was receiving direct contributions from individuals for his ministry so that he could live there in, in Bethlehem to translate the scriptures into Latin. The bishop of Jerusalem didn't really care for that idea. He didn't speak Latin. He was, he was um, you know, he was an Easterner. He was probably, uh, he probably spoke Greek, you know, only. But, Jerome was translating and the bishop excommunicated him for it. Now, of course, the Pope restored him to the church. But can you imagine the anguish of someone who's trying to do God's work, standing there day and night, trying to translate the scriptures into the language of the common people and having your bishop excommunicate you? Yeah. Even the saints have been through their times of anguish. In fact, the same thing happened to St. Thomas Aquinas. He was excommunicated by the Bishop of Paris. St. John of the Cross was excommunicated by the uh, president of his order. In fact, and he died in hiding. His order was trying to find him to execute and to put him to death. And he died not knowing that he had been restored to grace of the grace of the church by the Holy Father. Yes, we face anguish. We taste troubles. The world is not all rainbows and butterflies. But God is always with us. God is always there. So let us be free to be honest with God. Let us all remember, always remember, that we have a blessed hope. We know that God has been there before us, and he's there with us through it all. Let us go to God now in prayer. Heavenly Father, in dark days that we experience in life, let us never forget your light is there with us. Even if we cannot see it, your light is there to guide us. Thank you, precious Lord, for the work of St. Jerome, that we will, that we're able to have the scriptures in a language that we can read and understand. Thank you, precious Lord, that your saints who have faced great trouble have been, have been fervent, and constant in their work for you. Thank you, Lord, that even your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, faced trouble in this world. 
and promised us that in this world we would have tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We pray to the Lord. 